1: What's good, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rawicki. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. I want to start things off with a proclamation. I've done it. I figured it out. I finally did it. Like all great ideas, it came to me while I was in the shower the other day, and two things popped in my head. First was, good Lord, do I ever have to lose some weight? But that is neither here nor there. Number two was, I figured out not only the ideal lineup for the Winnipeg Jets forward core this upcoming season, I found a way that the Jets can stake claim to one of the three. That's right. A top three lineup up front in the entire NHL. I found a way to do it. We'll get to that in a minute. I do want to mention that later on in today's episode, it's the first of many, many interviews to come here where we'll speak with a member of the local food scene here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. We're going to try to bring some awareness, make sure we buy local, shop local, eat local during some tough times for small businesses here. I am going to be talking with Mike Del Buono. He's the owner of King and Ban, the little sandwich shop on the corner. Some of the best sandwiches you'll ever eat, I promise you. But if you don't believe me, the Winnipeg Jets actually have King and Band cater for them on their team trips, on their road trips, as well as after practices. It's an outstanding story. You got to hear it. Mike's going to explain that in a little bit, and we'll dive into some other things in and around the little sandwich shop around the corner. But as always here on Skates and Plates, we start off with the Winnipeg Jets, and I guess it's time to explain my theory to you guys my theory on how to make the best Jets lineup up front this season. For those that missed it in episode number one, we actually dove into the state of the franchise. A look at where the Winnipeg Jets rank across the NHL in various departments, forwards, defense, goalies, you know, coaching, GM. We're going to get to all that. But last week, we looked at the forward core. And I had them at ninth in the NHL. So a top 10 forward core still, still very good. I think there's improvement. And I'm going to explain to you my theory, my out there take on how the Winnipeg Jets can make this possible. The only thing I'm going to ask though is just please, please listen to this with an open mind, okay? It might be a little bit out there, but I swear I'm going to convince you by the end of this that this is how the Jets should line up this season. Will it happen? Yeah, probably not. But I think it should happen. And if it does happen, You know, maybe their fortunes could take a turn for the better this season. So when it comes to the Jets lineup, and look, we talk about it on the big show. I mean, throughout TSN 1290, all day long about what Paul Marie should do, who should line up where. And I'm pretty sure we've heard it all at this point, right? Switch it up at the top six, lower it to the fourth line, give young kids a chance, yada, yada, yada. All that crap. I'm very confident, though, you've never heard this lineup idea for the Winnipeg Jets. So let's dive into it. By the way, if you want to give me a reaction to this idea, to where the Winnipeg Jets rank across the NHL in terms of their forward core, hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I will tell you right now that for next episode that's going to drop on Friday, it's going to be a mailbag, a fun bag. I'm going to answer each and every single one of your questions, opinions, comments, whatever it is. We're going to dive into it all, and we'll have some fun. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what you guys have to say about everything here, and I'm going to be very intrigued to see what people think about this. But again, hit me up, Brandon underscore Rewiki on Twitter, and we'll have some fun Friday for episode number three. So it's pretty obvious to everybody here in Winnipeg that the second line center role has been, let's call it a black hole for a long time. A long, long time. I mean, since since Paul Stasny failed to re-sign here, it's been an ongoing issue. Maybe the second line just as a whole hasn't been able to help support the top line. It's clearly time to solve it. Kevin Sheveldayoff obviously thinks so as well. He spent two first-round picks over the past couple of seasons and then went right back to the well with Paul Stasny this past season. But did you guys know that there's actually a center that's out there for the Winnipeg Jets right now? That's a point of game centerman. It's true. He's big, not bad on draws, but physical. All the intangibles you could want, solid defensively, a big-time leader. I mean, doesn't that check off all the boxes on on any centerman you want? A big physical point-per-game guy right down the pipe. Wouldn't you want that guy? So how do we get him? You move him off the wall. It's Blake Wheeler. My theory is that even with the acquisition of Paul Stasny, that Blake Wheeler should be the second line center on the team going into this season and that Paul Stasny should actually drop down and be the third line center, which would then in turn drop down Adam Lowry to be the fourth line center. But that's my theory that the Winnipeg Jets, could potentially have a top three forward group in the NHL if Blake Wheeler is their second line center. Let me explain a little bit further here. Just going by what happened last season. We might forget this, but Blake Wheeler had a pretty rough start to the year. Just eight points in his first 16 games, but everything changed once Brian Little suffered that just horrendous injury on November 5th against the New Jersey Devils. Because after that point... Blake Wheeler was moved back into that spot at center, this time as a second-line center. He stayed there for the majority of the season. And he didn't move back to full-time right wing until Cody Egan was acquired on February 21st. Now, Blake Wheeler was, was outstanding to end the season. He had eight points in his last nine games playing on the right wing on that top line. No questions there. I think people completely forget how productive Blake Wheeler was down the middle last year. And for those that don't know or want a refresher, what Blake Wheeler's offensive production was like playing center. Blake Wheeler was on pace for over a point a game, 90 points per 82 games, just to be exact. And he was doing so in under 20 minutes a night, by the way. Right? So he's not getting top-line minutes, yet he produced like one of the elite settermen offensively in the NHL. In fact, I would go as far to say that you could make the case last year that Blake Wheeler was the best setter on the Winnipeg Jets. He produced right on par with what Mark Scheifele did offensively, did it in less minutes, and was better defensively. So why are we talking about Blake Wheeler playing center? I can understand some arguments against it. To me, there's three that pop to the top of my head. Why Blake Wheeler shouldn't be a centerman this season. And number one is maybe the obvious one. Well, he doesn't want to. He's a winger. He wants to play out there on the wing. My rebuttal to that would be, I think Blake Wheeler wants to win more than anything else when it comes to hockey. So I'm going to say that his hunger for a title for a Stanley Cup trumps his preference of position. So I'm going to throw that argument out of the water. Maybe the best argument might be that in his mid 30s, playing center could increase the wear and tear and maybe fast track some potential regression for Blake Wheeler. Look, that's a fair point. That is definitely a concern. But there's also no doubt that fitness wise, Blake Wheeler takes care of his body and is still in elite shape. And why couldn't Blake Wheeler follow a similar path as to that of, oh, I don't know, another playmaking center? who aged pretty well into his mid and late thirties, Joe Thornton ring a bell to (laughs) anyone. They're both playmakers of the highest order. And Jumbo was, I mean, he was extremely productive even into his late thirties. He was, he was really solid. And there's no reason why as a big playmaker, Blake Wheeler couldn't follow that mold as well. The other argument would be that, well, what was a strength on this team is now depleted. And that would be out there on the wing. You're losing a first line right winger, an undeniable fact. But as it stands right now, Patrick Liney could jump right up onto the top line. He can do that. And if he takes a leap, he might even improve on what Blake Wheeler did on the wing last season. Now, Jack Roslovic, not ideally a top six guy but he actually showed pretty well beside Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler last year. Those three were aligned for a large portion of their time together. And maybe on top of it, it's one last chance. If Jack Russell, going to be on the team to start the year for him to show his worth to the jets or to another team, for example, at some point though, you have to sacrifice some depth on the wall for strength up the middle. I mean, in my opinion, the best way to build a championship group up front is down the middle, strength down the middle. And that's been this one team's Achilles heel when it comes to a forward group. And with that lineup, I don't know, guys. I think the Jets could quite possibly have a case outside of Tampa Bay for the best center group in the NHL. I mean, how many second-line centermen would be better than what we saw out of Blake Wheeler last season when he was second-line center for the Winnipeg Jets? The baseline we're saying, point a game guy, good defensively, not getting 20, 21, 22 minutes a night. Maybe three or four? I mean, two teams had a second-line sediment that was over a point a game, and that was Edmonton with Connor, Connor Dreisaitl, <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl, and also Pittsburgh with Evgeny Malkin. Two more were just under a point a game. That was out there in Tampa Bay, Braden Point and Steven Samkos, and out there in Toronto in the big smoke, John Tavares, just under that. I think Blake Wheeler might already be. If he's giving you a point a game, that's a top five second-line centerman in the NHL. I'm sorry. He just is. Moving down the lineup because of that. How many players, how many third-line centermen are better than Paul Stasny in that role? Again, maybe three or four. look out in Tampa Bay for sure. Charlie Coyle in Boston. Maybe there's one or two other, but guys, I don't know. I don't know. You can count on one hand the amount of teams that would have a better third-line centerman than Paul Stasny. And let's move down another rung here. How many teams would have a better fourth-line guy than Adam Lowry? Maybe a couple. Maybe. You could probably make a case that Adam Lowry might be the best fourth-line centerman in the NHL. And if you get a bounce back from Mark Shifley, maybe he moves back into being a no-doubt-about-a-top-10 guy. That's sexy to me. I don't know. I think it's it's an absolute home run. And if Paul Maurice can convince Blake Wheeler, this is the best route for the Winnipeg Jets to win a Stanley Cup this season, I'm on board. Wheeler's on board. You should be on board. Let's do this. So here's how I see things in my ideal crazy world playing out next season, how the Jets could ice the best lineup up front. Hotline 2.0 to kick things off. Mark Shifley, centering Patrick lining on the right and Nick Ehlers on the left. I think there's a lot of fans out there that regardless of what happens, that's the top line they want to see. And in this scenario, that still stays intact. You would then have a second line of Blake Wheeler centering Kyle Connor, 40 goal scorer, Kyle Connor, and Jack Roslevic on his right side. Now I'm, I'm not necessarily married to Jack Roslevic being in the top six in this scenario. If you wanted to move, a cop, a pro, somebody else up. I'm all ears. But that line was actually really good together this past season when they hit the ice. And I, I wouldn't mind giving that a go to start off the campaign. Plus, Connor and Roslovic, whether it was the AHL or with the U.S. developmental team, they've got a little bit of chemistry. So maybe there's something that can help unlock a bit of the potential we haven't yet seen out of Jack Roslovic. So a second line again of Blake Wheeler. Centering Kyle Connor and Jack Roslovic, That then brings us to a third line of Paul Stasny, Andrew Kopp, and Matthew Perreault. That's a line that could potentially feast. And, ah, man, like I said earlier, there are not a lot of sediment in the NHL. On a third line level, that would be an improvement over Paul Stasny. It would not shock me whatsoever to see that line absolutely feast on the opposition. And then we get to a fourth line here of Adam Lowry with a couple youngsters out there on the flanks and Mason Appleton and Jansen Harkins. Crash, bang, grind. I mean, there's some offensive potential there too on top of it. I don't know, guys. I think this is going to work. I really do. I think this is going to be something that if the Winnipeg Jets buck the conventional thinking here, they might have something special on their hands. And we'll see if Paul Maurice feels the same way. I, I personally hope he does. Let me know what you think. Should Blake Wheeler be the second line center still, even with the acquisition of Paul Stassi this year on the Winnipeg Jets? Am I crazy? Is this lineup crazy or am I crazy like a Fox? And this makes way too much sense for it not to happen right now. We'll find out. Well, let's switch over to the plates part of skates and plates right now. Very pleased now to be talking with the owner of King and Bannatine, Mike Del Buono. How's it going today, man?
0: I'm young yeah, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. This is really cool.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to start off right out of the gate by asking you this: Where do you keep your recipes for your sandwiches, and are they guarded <laughs> by alarm watchdog? Like, what are we dealing with here?
0: You know what? Actually, I, I do get asked that a decent amount, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're quite liberal with our recipes. I won't lie; um. Um, we are. Um, I come from a little bit of a, a structured background in the restaurant industry, so like we're we're quite. We have things written down. Uh, all the staff have access to them because we're big on uh, big on cross training. Make sure that everyone's up to speed on everything, and we have a pretty small menu, so. Um, not too hard to get everyone on board with what's going on, but it's funny I always joke about this because people ask me for my brisket recipe. Obviously, we're known for that, and I gladly give it out because as soon really? as I tell people it takes eight days to make it, they just oh, go, oh, okay, never nah, mind. i are not going to do that. So go ahead. If you want to do it out, like I give you all the props in the world, put the time in, but I have a feeling you're probably going to come back anyways.
1: All right, so before we get into the actual creations, for those that don't know, and by the way, I love... Kind of the tagline for King and Ban, the little sandwich shop on the corner. I think it's awesome. Um, but for those that that aren't familiar with your place, just kind of run us through what King and Banatine is all about. And I, I believe you've been open for six years now, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was six years, November seventeenth. Congrats! Thank you, thank you. It's. Uh it flies by it's unbelievable um but yeah we've been home for 6 years um we are on the southwest corner of King Street and Bannatyne Avenue in the Exchange we are uh, a premium sandwich shop that focuses on uh handcrafted uh slow roasted sandwiches that used to be like a really focus have uh, heavily on on meats filled uh, but we've shifted and we've got some really cool options uh for everyone but um it is it's it's an experience based uh, spot when you come down um, you know it's not your typical uh, sit down and wait for the server to come you come right up to the counter um, it's interactive it's fun it's a little more lively and uh, yeah it's just uh, it, it's it's been my life for the last six years and I really wouldn't have it any other way
1: so what was your inspiration to open up a sandwich shop
0: uh, yeah, another question that I get actually quite often everyone kind of thinks that I uh, have been a sandwich aficionado for all of my life, (laughs) but uh, not really the case. I mean, I've I've worked in restaurants for over a decade now, and that was, like, hospitality in general has always been my true passion. Um, And um, when I came out the gate looking for a restaurant, I actually thought I was gonna do a totally different concept. I have uh, um, a father who's Italian, he comes from Italy, And uh, I'd always wanted to kind of pursue that avenue uh, and uh, go the Italian route. Um, And I really wanted to be in the Exchange, where we are right now. And so I spent a good year um, looking for a spot to open an Italian restaurant in the Exchange. And I really just couldn't find the right space. A lot of heritage buildings, as everyone's kind of Mm -hmm. familiar with in the Exchange. Um, it's a little harder to deal with spaces uh, in those in those types of, uh, of buildings. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of old moving parts. Um, so after a while, I kind of had to take a look at what I was doing, and I had to make a decision. And it was, do I really want to stick with this concept um, that requires, you know, ventilation and this and uh, a bunch of equipment that's hard to get into these heritage buildings or do I really want to be in the exchange and do I have to change what I'm opening up uh, to be in the exchange and I, in the end I, I really decided that I wanted to be in the exchange more than do my original concept and so I had to start looking at concepts that could fit in the spaces that I'd seen and the spot that we're in is, uh, is a really cool uh, space if you haven't been there it's on the corner of uh king street and banatine as i mentioned and it is a, a heritage building that um was in not so good condition not too long <laughs> ago and uh the landlords uh, struck a deal with the city because they really wanted to build a parkade and what they did was they took down the facade of the building brick by brick uh they tore the guts down and they built a parkade on the block And then they refurbished all the brick and put it right back the way it was on the corner. So I actually sit in a brand-new building that has brand-new bones, um, but it has the original facade of the building. Um, So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And uh, that was a spot I fell in love with. Um, Being in a parkade makes it even harder to put equipment in there, and so I had to find a concept that really could fit in that particular space that I loved. And uh, I just started looking at things that I think the area would love. And a high-end sound shop was something that I saw in a number of cities I traveled to, Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto. Um, and they just had this certain element that I absolutely loved about, like, the over-the-counter interaction that I just really wanted to bring in. So I actually to a bunch of cities. I saw of just a bunch of places, and I kind of came up with a concept that would work in that space. And then here we are, six years later.
1: Now, before we get into the menu, which we will do right away, I just want to get your opinion on this, six years in the biz.
0: Mm. To
1: you, just simply, what makes a perfect sandwich?
0: Balance. For for us, it's it's balance. It's always been... um, And you'll see that um, with our specials. We have rotating specials. We change them every week. Uh, Things like the brisket... We're never going to touch. That thing is uh, perfection on its own. It's very simple. Um, but when we're coming up with new things, uh, it's, it's balance. It's your balance of what type of meat you're using, how much fat is in there. Um, you know, Getting some sweetness in, whether it's through a sauce, barbecue sauce, it's you know, heavy sweetness. Um, the addition of pickles gives you that vinegar, that punch. And then it's all about just like, finding the balance, putting some textures in there. Uh, what kind of bread are you using, and this and that, and uh, that's something we've got really good at over the years of doing specials every week, is like being able to find that balance a little quicker, a little bit better, Um, and to me, that's what makes a good sandwich.
1: All right, so we've kind of danced around it enough here, so we'll just jump into it. I know my dad listens, and he's going to be pissed at me for saying this, but a lot of people love cooking brisket, but Like you touched on, they can't quite hit it out of the park like you guys. Like there's so many little intricacies that go into it. Can you just help everybody out that tries? But what goes into making your perfect brisket?
0: So the first thing I tell people all the time is moisture. That's one thing that people tend to overlook because when they think of brisket, they think of a smoker and they think of smoked for a very long time. But if you just smoke something for a very long time, it's going to be dry. And so that's typically how people will tackle brisket their first time is they got the smoker and they really want to do a big piece of meat, and it's awesome. But I always try and tell people, like, you're going to do the low and slow, but at some point make sure that there's some moisture in there. So you can do one of two things is you can let it smoke on the grill as is for a couple hours and then tent it cover it with some liquid inside so that it starts steaming uh, or introduce moisture into the smoker at some point in a water pan or if you want to flavor it some beer juices anything like that to keep the the smoker moist uh the number one thing to remember is a brisket is a muscle it's the breast of the cow so it's a it's a really hard thing that you gotta cook for a long time but you also have to break down the muscle in there and the tissues to make it nice and tender and if you do it right works out super well But that moisture is what breaks it down uh, the most. And so, like, a place that does make that famous pastrami, it is smoked. It's smoked meat. But they also steam it. And that's how we do ours as well. We steam ours overnight for about 10 hours. So having that steam and that moisture is what's going to keep it juicy and it's going to break down that muscle and it's going to make it nice and tender.
1: How long did it take you before, like, are we talking years before you were like, this, I I got it now, this is the recipe?
0: You know what? we, We did a good solid couple months i remember my original chef i brought him on probably six months before we actually opened the restaurant and i made sure that i put him right on payroll so that we started doing recipe testing and we opened the original menu only had three sandwiches on it and we had one that i really thought was going to be uh the like home run and it turned out it wasn't everybody loved the brisket everyone freaked out about the brisket but we at least spent a good couple of months i'll never forget it i was living in an apartment at the time and i was my my regular refrigerator was top to bottom with these giant hunks of brisket different rubs <laughs> different brines different times that it was brined and then i remember boiling pots of water on my stove and <laughs> boiling the, essentially steaming these briskets in a pot for like six, seven, eight hours sometimes at a time, uh, just to slice off one piece to see how it was. And yeah, we ended up going through a lot. But uh, it, it's we, since we decided on that recipe, it has been the exact same the entire time; it hasn't changed. Right down to the mustard as well.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a mustard freak. Like I, I think you know when I'm low on mustard, I have like five or six different ones in my fridge um
0: you know i'm the same as i'm with hot sauce I'm, uh, i'm a variety of hot sauce guy which is very common i think
1: uh and i actually just ran out i had bought some from you back in the summer it lasted me all summer so i got to come back down and and pick up some more mustard but i've always been curious i love it but i've never i've never really made it before um so just what what goes into that process
0: uh also a little bit of time um yeah, uh, mustard is, you can make it a couple different ways. I mean, of course, there's grainies, there's there's smooth Dijons, there's, which we make a yellow. Um, mustard takes time to mellow out. I think a lot of people kind of oh. rush into it a little bit from, from time to time, especially if you're making something like grainy Dijon, uh, let it sit overnight in whatever liquid that's in there. Um, and, uh, it'll give you super bitter right off the bat unless you let it, like, mellow out over time. We cook ours. It speeds up the process a little bit. Um... But, I mean, your, your basics, basic mustards are going to be, uh, you know, uh, a base liquid uh, and vinegar and, and mustard powder or mustard seed, whatever route you decide to go. Um, and then you flavor it with uh, with whatever you want in there. Uh, we make ours a little bit smoky, but uh, what do you like? What's your what's what's your go to mustard? What's your what's your favorite?
1: Yeah. So see, it depends on the sandwich, right? Because you can't just use a blanket mustard for everything. Of course. Um. Of course, I have an actual mustard power ranking. So oh, I wow. would. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I told you, I take it seriously. I would go. No I think Grainy's number one for me. hmm Um. I mean, Dijon's the most versatile. And you could use it in so many other things. So I'd probably, have, I'd probably go grainy, Dijon, maybe like a spicy yellow mustard. Yeah. I'd probably go with those as my top three, I think. So we talked about the brisket there. A lot of people are going to be happy to, that you unveiled a little bit of the secrets. Uh, but you have six other sandwiches on your menu right now, correct?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it's up to that, is it?
1: Yeah. I've, I've always wondered this. Because you do have a pared-down menu. I guess, first off, how hard is it to to pare down your menu? Because you've probably got, I mean, dozens, maybe hundreds of different ideas. But I understand wanting to keep things simple and, and perfect, you know, a, a set list of items.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, there's actually a number of factors. It's kind of changed over the years. Um, so we have, what we have is a good system for recording. Specials and specials are usually because we change them every week. A good, um, uh, I don't know if you will, a kind of a draft uh, for for getting them onto the to the roster, the main roster. Okay. And uh, so we 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 give them tryouts uh, in the <laughs> specials, and then you know a couple months later we'll try it again, see how it goes, see if we can tweak it a little bit. And if it fits in with what we're doing, you know, if the price is right on the supplies and, and the product. Uh, and it's something we can fit into into the main lineup. We'll we'll bring it on. Um, catering's also become a big factor, so we're trying to gear our, our main menus to catering friendly sandwiches, and then we get a little bit more crazy with the specials that are uh, you know walk in only. Um, but again, it's I go back to balance. It's a lot about balance. You know, we've got on one end the brisket, which is like heavy meat, very simple, and then we've got uh, which is our brand new one is actually a roasted sweet potato sandwich. Uh, it's way lighter. Uh, a little more veg to it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of it, and uh, it's something that a meat eater would eat and have no problem getting past the fact that it's vegetarian. And we love doing stuff like that. Like it's, uh, you know, it fits in exactly what what we're doing, but it kind of gets away from traditionally what we've done.
1: You have that one, and then you also have the pineapple jalapeno pineapple barbecue jackfruit, which is a, a plant based sandwich. Uh, you touched on it a little earlier, but. How, how much have you seen the demand for those options increase over the past few years?
0: It's been, you know, it's, uh, it's been good. I mean, like now that we've got two options on there, um, and I'm, I'm, by no means are, are, you know, the vegans, vegetarians rushing out to come to our place. Cause it's, it's been hard to kind of break that mold of being just like the meat shop that we've been for, you know, the first three, four years. um, and But what we were finding over time was that a lot of times someone would bring a guest um, and not knowing what they were getting into. And, you know, being that uh, interactive, see everybody kind of counter, there's a lot of times where someone's got to leave because we really don't have any options for them. And, like, that just kind of makes my heart sink a little bit. And so it becomes kind of a, an inspirational challenge to be like, okay, well, like, you know, we don't have to be – the, like, traditional vegetarian sandwich, but what can we do that fits in with what we do um, to change with the times here? Because more and more people are eating less meat and not saying that everyone's going vegetarian, but, like, especially our crowd down in the exchange, we're finding a lot of people are not eating meat every day. Like, they'll eat vegetarian two or three times a week, and then they'll eat meat at dinner, and it's just becoming much more of a lifestyle choice uh there's a lot more reasons for people to eat uh, more plant-based these days than there was say 10 years ago um and i don't think it's going anywhere i really think that this is a it's a permanent change that uh, people are going towards
1: now your other four sandwiches they've been I, I guess kind of regulars uh but what i like about it is that you take sandwiches everyone is familiar with and you kind of put a little bit of a twist on them and, and for those that aren't familiar, with the other ones on your menu, you have the smoked buffalo chicken, uh, the braised beef, the Cajun chicken club, and your spin on a BLT. And and I, you've done a couple different iterations on your menu in the past. Uh, have you liked the new one that you've settled on right now?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, actually, believe it or not, that's my favorite sandwich. Um, and obviously, I get that question a lot because people uh, want to know what what we're liking at the shop. But you actually nailed it when you said that. Like, I, I tell people all the time, and I tell especially new staff when they start with us, is like what we do that people love is taking something familiar and just making it ours. And we find those are always our best sellers. So, anytime we do our Ruben, our uh, people just go nuts for it. When we do our, our Philly, people go nuts for it. Um, the Cajun Chicken Club was like, we were not planning on putting that one on the menu, but because it was so popular as a special, we just had to. Um, but uh, yeah, the VLT, blue it or not, is actually my favorite, and exactly what we talked about before, but I think just like it's such a well-balanced sandwich. Um, if anyone's ever had it, we, we don't use traditional strip bacon. We, uh, we roast pork bellies whole, and we cut them into really thick chunks, so it's much more of like a meaty, tender sandwich. But it's fatty. It's salty. Uh, we make our own tomato jam instead of uh, fresh tomatoes, so it's a little bit sweet. Uh, we put some pickled fennel on there, uh, shredded iceberg, and then it's got a lemon aioli for a little bit, a little bit of zest. And I just think it's it's awesome. It's fresh and it's it's different, and and people love it.
1: And for those that are fans of BLTs, it will ruin any homemade BLT you'll ever have. So I'll just I'll put that disclaimer in front of that as well.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Uh, I I. I wouldn't be—you wouldn't be too far off if uh, if I admitted to uh, ruining sandwiches for people is a little bit of our mission. So. <laughs> right
1: on. People listen to this podcast. A, a big part of it is is the community in Winnipeg. But I mean, skates and plates. The skates part is obviously the Winnipeg Jets. And a little birdie tells me that you have a pretty sweet connection with the local hockey team. Is it uh? Is it safe to call you guys the the unofficial sandwich supplier of the Winnipeg Jets?
0: Uh, you know what? I'm, I will not be the one to lay that claim to ourselves, but, um, I think if you asked anyone in the organization, they might lean towards that. Um, yeah, we've been fortunate enough that we've kind of fell on a routine, um, where a lot of, a lot of the guys on the crew really like what we do. And, uh, when they got hold of our, of our catering, um, we started becoming a regular for, uh, practices and in particular um the flights flights out when they were flying out to different cities they always cater on there and uh they found that our option was something the guys were always asking for and uh travels well it was easy for people them to serve and uh yeah i mean it's 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 something we're we're super proud of um uh they're a simple group of guys that just love a good meat sandwich and and we can we can always get that to them
1: how did it all get started then like you mentioned the crew was it some of the actual players that came down to the shop can you maybe explain the startup process
0: yeah actually that that is pretty much how i have to give so much props uh to josh Morrissey and jack rosovic those guys were kind of the ones who started it they both used to live in the exchange and uh both of them would come in quite often uh after practice and uh I'll never forget the day that it that it was it really it really started. I remember coming out from the back and Buff's just sitting he's standing in line. He's the <laughs> only one in there. He's wearing a suit. So they clearly they just came from practice. And I'm like, Oh shush, Buff's here, yeah, that's uh sweet, awesome. Gear up, get out there and before I even open my mouth, in comes Wheeler and he's coming and he's got a suit on as well. And then it was just a just an onslaught. There was four more guys that came through the door. I think it was Lowry Perot, uh, some of the rookies and they all came in at once. And I was like, okay, this is, this means business. The guys are here. And, um, it was, uh, it was a good time for them to be in there. There was no one really in, in the restaurant. They kind of came at an odd time. So I got to chat with a couple of them. And, uh, um, it's kind of a funny side story. We have, uh, a guy who's worked with us for a number of years. And, uh, he wasn't there that day, but the, next, uh, the day after was his birthday. And uh, he happened to leave his Jets hat hanging in uh, in the back of the kitchen there. And so after the guys finished up, I kind of went out and just said, hey, thanks for coming by, you guys. Just a favor to ask. Uh, we got a guy who's a huge Jets fan. It's his birthday tomorrow. If you guys could sign his hat, I would just be forever thankful. So they all signed it for him. And uh, he was just beyond stoked. And after that, we just started seeing him a little bit more a little bit more regularly after practices. Um, and uh, then actually I, I started getting calls from uh, the training staff. So uh, Craig Swanlight, who's not there anymore, um, was a great guy. And he, I guess, working really close with the guys, got to talking about it. And uh, they, started, uh, they started calling me for delivering off to the, to the rink um, from time to time. And then sure enough, I got a call from, uh, the flight crew and the flight crew just said, you guys keep asking for your stuff and we want to get it on the plane. And, uh, so we kind of, uh, we had kind of come up with a unique system of how we got it to them because they have some pretty, uh, pretty tough regulations. They got to go by, uh, getting onto a plane, but, uh, we figured out a system that works for them. And, um, I'll never forget that first year. It was hilarious. Uh, within like Uh, a month of us doing some flights for them. We just became like every time they just kept calling us. They kept calling us like the guys want it. They're sick of, you know, reheated steaks and like all this stuff that doesn't work on the plane. And like, they just want your sandwiches. So, uh, yeah, it just, it turned to a thing that, uh, we're super proud of. Um, I, I couldn't be, couldn't be happier to, uh, support the guys when they go off. Um, we, we always have this, uh, Little, uh, little bit of fear, though, that I know. You know, hockey players are very superstitious groups. So anytime they go on a bad road trip, um, <laughs> I feel like it's hanging over my head. I'm kind of like, oh, they're never going to order from us again. Oh no. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been great for us, and uh, we couldn't be happier to, to support the guys in any way we can.
1: Dude, that is an amazing story. <laughs> I knew you provided sandwiches, but that is, like, as far as an orig- origin story goes, that's top-notch. How, how many years ago was that?
0: Um, I guess this would have been uh, the third year um, that we'd started because we've gone through a couple people in the flight crew. Um, it's kind of it's fu- it's funny uh, when, when all this stuff happened with the, with the, the shutdown. I kind of joked to the guys and I was like, well, I guess, you know, they're only going to take one more flight. Hopefully it'll be us. I get it. (laughs) And, uh, sure enough, we got the call. Yes. uh, (laughs) It was, it was even funnier because I got a call and they're like, you know, you got to drop it off, like at the airport and, uh, so I'm okay. You know, like I'm, I'm gearing up and, I'm assuming that it's going to be a very like, you know, we're stopping you at the gate and like, we'll take it from here. And, uh, you know, you just stay as far away from the players as you possibly can. And I remember pulling up, pull up to the airport and the guy's like, Oh yeah, you're here for the lunch. He's like, Okay. Sweet. Just pull up right next to the plane there. And we're going to set you up right outside. I <laughs> oh, yeah, pulled onto the tarmac in my car and like, got out, they had tables like, set up next to the staircase going up to the plane, and I got to set it up right there. And I got a pretty sweet picture of the, of the sandwiches right at, uh, at the plane. But, um, yeah, I was, I was honored to get the call for the one flight out of Winnipeg in 2020 from the guys. Holy Mr. Big Shot just
1: straight <laughs> out to the tarmac. That's <laughs> unreal. What are the go-to sandwiches for, for certain members of the Winnipeg Jets? Is it mainly the brisket, or or do some of these guys have a specific favorite?
0: Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a pretty much a dead split down the middle of the brisket and the buffalo chicken, which are our two most popular sandwiches. Um, yeah, they're simple. Uh, they're consistent. Um, it's right in the wheelhouse for those guys.
1: Have you ever thought about naming or or creating a sandwich with one of the Jets players in mind?
0: (laughs) You know what? I would do it if the request was there, but, uh... (laughs) I'll leave it to those guys to, uh, to come. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a little bit of their input on uh, what they'd like to see on, uh, on one of them.
1: When you make the sandwiches, are are you in contact with, I I mean, the first thing I think of is I guess the, the fitness and conditioning team. Do, do they have any like specific dietary restrictions or anything like that? Or is it just, Hey, make the sandwiches, make them as good as you normally do and away we go.
0: Yeah. You know what? It's, I, I thought it would be kind of regimented. Um, it depends who's ordering. Um, when you do get the fitness conditioning coach, they're a little bit more. Uh, they'll probably choose the veg-heavy side. You know, the coleslaw instead of potato salad. Uh, but by and large, the guys are the guys are pretty straight. Um, I know there's one nut allergy on the team, but uh, that's about it. It's uh, it's pretty straightforward. They they just like what we do.
1: Well, hopefully the Jets get back in action soon. And I mean, who knows when that's going to happen with 2020 and everything like that. And, and hopefully you can get back to feeding the boys right away. But I, I have to bring this up because, I mean, it's it's still ongoing and we're still dealing with the second wave right now in Winnipeg. Can you maybe just explain to our listeners how you guys have had to adjust over the last few months and, and what's, in, what's it been like dealing with being in the food business during the pandemic?
0: Uh yeah, I mean it's uh it's a unique time, that is for sure. Um it's been uh it's been all over the map. You know, uh as everyone knows we're kinda of in this odd situation in Manitoba where we just had just a great summer of uh really no worries and it's starting to to come back at us. But um uh I will start off by saying that we um, in the restaurant business if you're going to look at it by segments uh, are in a very fortunate segment to be in, in the restaurant business right now um, there's a number of places that are mandated to close down you know uh, down the street from us the Kingshead for example uh, because of the license that they hold they're not allowed to be open at all um, we've been fortunate enough that we operate in a space where um, we can still provide takeout we can still provide our catering those are programs that we've had from day one so it wasn't a big uh, adjustment for us to get into that stuff, but there are a lot of places out there, uh, especially ones that haven't been around for so long, that are really like working to change their business models right now. Um, but we did have to make a number of changes uh, that, uh, especially when this first all all started coming down, uh, when everybody was kind of in the same boat of like the full shutdown um i had actually gotten back i was in uh i was in bali uh up until two days before the official lockdown so i got back and it was immediate into quarantine um before it was mandated to do the quarantine um but uh i had some time to kind of reflect on what was happening um a lot of restaurants just started closing down on their own and i i commend everyone that did make that step um when they didn't have to, uh, to close down because I think it's a noble thing to do. And we, we followed suit. Um, and we had some time to just like kind of figure out how we were going to fit into the landscape. I, uh, I went to the restaurant, I painted the walls and, uh, after I was done with that, I was like, Hey, well, we gotta do something. Cause I'm, I'm going to be bored if I don't. <laughs> and, uh, in that time I was talking to a lot of people around, uh, grocery stores, you know, a lot of stuff was closed down. In particular, deli counters were. I kept hearing that from a lot of people, and so we um, we kind of snapped to it. I brought Chef back, and him and I uh, came came up with something that you know I were familiar with, which is which is meats, and we, we came up with a full uh, a full uh, deli menu of uh, cold cut meats that we were packaging for people because uh, they really couldn't get their hands on any at all, and uh, we we threw up a, an online menu um, of house made cold cuts. So our brisket, we were making a Cajun roast turkey, some roast ham. And then we were, you know, packaging up our pickles, potato salad, coleslaw. We were doing soups, um, just trying to get people everything they would normally be able to get that they couldn't get their hands on. And we just had like this unbelievable wave of support from people. Um, and we did that for, oh, man, it must have been about a month um, until until the province, you know, said, you can, you can open patios. And so we scrambled to put our patio together with our neighbors, uh, Joe there. And, uh, from then on we were allowed to start doing takeout, uh, people could sit outside. Um, and, yeah, and that's kind of how we, we fared for most of the summer. You know, we were doing the outdoor seating, which was good. Um, yeah, as good as it can be. I mean, you know, uh, being downtown, uh, we, we thrive off of people that are working. You know, we, we, we cater to the people in the offices, uh, that are on their quick lunch breaks. Uh, so when people aren't in the office, it's just natural that we're not as busy. Um, so the community came out and they still are, uh, unbelievably to support us. And, uh, this second wave has been a little, little different. We didn't go back to the, to the deli menu, uh, route, but, um, uh, there was a cool, uh, a cool kind of project that we took on in the exchange. Um, I don't know if you heard of the Bijou Patio uh, that popped up, um, but that uh, that was a that was a uh, a group effort by a number of uh, businesses in the exchange that I ended up helping with a ton. We opened up a, a patio next to the cube in Old Market Square with a. Basically a shipping container bar and uh, a really unique ordering system um, that I kind of spearheaded to allow people to order at the picnic table in the bar outside from any of the restaurants around there. And then we had runners that would go pick up the food for you and drop it off. It was uh, was a great success. It helped a ton of restaurants out in the area and we're looking forward to next year when we can uh, do it again and hopefully without, uh, all this madness that's going on. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a unique time. Um, January, February is always the slowest year, uh, slowest time of the year for any restaurant. Um, so that's kind of an impending slowdown that's coming our way. Um, and you pair that with rising numbers and it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, um, it's going to be a tough time, but, uh, you know what, uh, We're a resilient bunch, and uh, I really think that people are going to come through stronger on the other side of this all.
1: Yeah, and and we're hoping for the best for you and everybody down there, man, 100%. And look, this speaks, you touched on some of the difficulties you face and are are maybe likely to face over the next little bit, but I think it speaks to how good of a crew that that you've spearheaded that you lead down there. I saw this on your Instagram page uh, just a little while ago, but you still took the time and Help provide a group of teachers with a safe catered lunch. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. We actually um, we got to uh, the last couple of weeks. Actually, we've got we got, um, we got uh, in touch with some administration at uh, school divisions. We had we had one division order off us. Must have been a couple of weeks ago. Um, they were doing kind of a coordinated effort where they were sending out to a number of teachers, and we helped them put that together. And from there, I mean, like I. I'm sure there's some people listening that are either teachers or no teachers. Um, I would say they are going through some of the toughest times right now alongside any healthcare worker, uh, or anyone that just has to be at work in general. And, uh, so it's really cool to be able to, to be able to feed them. I know that, you know, administration really is looking for ways to brighten their days and, uh, we were fortunate enough to be a small business that they also supported at the same time. And, um, yeah, last week we got to, got to feed uh, eight different schools, uh, teacher staff, admin staff. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they're just such a deserving bunch right now. So uh, honored, honored to be part of that.
1: That's awesome. What a, what a great story. Um, so we're just about done here. We'll have a little fun before we go. I will yeah. tie this right back around to the Winnipeg Jets. So I'm wondering... Since you mentioned how generous you are with your recipe sharing, <laughs> let's say it's game one of the Winnipeg Jets season sometime January, February, whenever it may be. What is your go-to sandwich for that Jets game day? Whether it's on or off your menu, just what what do you think of when you hear the perfect game day sandwich?
0: The perfect game day sandwich is, is going to be one of the ones that the guys order. It's one of our two most popular the brisket or the buffalo chicken. You're going to have to go with the potato salad on the side because we are known for that. Uh, and we serve draft beer in house. So, like, if you're going to the game, a brisket sandwich with a potato salad and a draft beer from LBJ is just like, that's it. That's right, right there. That's how you That's how you get ready for the game.
1: That is awesome. Well, look, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Look, ho- hopefully I can help you guys out a little bit because you've done so much for the city, for the exchange, everyone else. You guys are all top-notch. Um, before you go, just let the people know what's going on with King and Ban, how they can order your food. The floor is yours.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, first off, I'm gonna say thanks to you as well. Like, thanks for bringing me on, and like if, long before that, I mean, like you've been a supporter of ours for years. You and your lady have been coming in, and I appreciate that so much because um, uh, some of the most dedicated regulars we got, and uh, it's just great um, to see the support we've had over the last couple of months from everybody that's been coming in the doors is just awesome um but in terms of from us i mean like we are right now at the moment uh still open doing takeout um you can come into the store um, but we also we also have an online ordering system you can order pay online come pick up or we even do curbside we'll run it out to you. you just gotta call us let us know you're there um and uh then catering i mean we got online you can fill out uh, catering requests through there but um yeah, uh, we we always love when people come to see us inside. Uh, it's safe. We're taking all the precautions, but uh, that's what we're all about. We're all about people inside uh, and that experience, right?
1: Well, Winnipeggers, Manitobans, if you haven't already, A, you're missing out, but B, get on down to King of Banatai. You'll have one of the best sandwiches you'll ever have. Please go and support Mike and the great crew down there. Mike, thanks again so much for joining us. Have a good day, man.
0: Yeah, thanks, Brennan. This was fun. I'll
1: tell you what, folks. I think Mike might have my dream job, and that's sandwich supplier for an NHL team. I I don't know if it gets better than that. That's living the dream. Mike's living the dream. I'm jealous again. Thanks Mike so much for joining us. And for everyone listening, please do whatever you can to buy local and eat local. Give King and Ban a visit order delivery. It's going to be worth it. They're outstanding. That pretty much does it here for us today. So just let you guys know what's on tap for our next episode. Number three, which is going to air Friday. We're going to start off with your reactions. I want it all on the Winnipeg Jets forward core that we've touched on so far. Them being ninth potentially in the NHL. Do you think they're a top ten forward core? Top five? Are they maybe falling back a little bit? I want to hear all your thoughts on that. Plus my crazy theory that makes way too much sense. Blake Wheeler being the second line center on the Winnipeg Jets this year. And is that enough to potentially push them up into the upper echelon? of the best forward groups in the NHL this season. Let me know again, hit me up at Brandon underscore on Twitter. We're going to get to all your opinions, all your comments, everything I promise. It's going to be a really awesome, fun start to Friday's show. And then after that, we're going to follow that up with a great interview as well. We're going to speak with Chris Graves, the owner of the Kings head. And, and for those that have been in Winnipeg before, it's an absolute icon here in the city. I mean, it's been part of the food scene for decades now. Uh, Chris is going to join us. He touches on just how the King's head is, is trying to find a way to adapt and survive here amidst the pandemic. It's a really, really great listen. He's basically pouring his heart and soul and every penny he possibly can into it. You got to listen, maybe some big buff stories down there at the pub. He's got a couple of them. There's some pretty good ones. All right. So we'll get to all of that on Friday and more but once again, thank you so much for listening to Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Brandon Verwicki signing off here. Peace.